Brain Hearts, it's Hannah here. This week on the show, we have Gloria Kimbwala. She's a campus program specialist at Square. If you've ever used those handy dandy little card swipers, you know what Square is. She's an engineer and has a lot of experience in terms of mentorship and helping other women to succeed and beat imposter syndrome. We talk about a lot of actionable items such as how to make the workplace one of inclusion, one where people don't just feel like they have a job, but they also feel welcome and that their word is taken seriously and their input is as well. Gloria has a big heart and is such a giving, generous person, and it was such an honor to have her on the podcast. I hope you enjoy, and without further ado, well, here's Gloria, Gloria. thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me. I'm a huge fan of yours. I'm team Gloria all the way. Mm-hmm. Your, your passion and your generosity in terms of being a door opener for other women, someone who is extremely passionate about training and equipping women in STEM is something I admire so much. So first of all, thank you. Oh, thank you so much for having me, Hannah. I'm so honored to be on your show, and I'm honored to talk to you today. Well, thank you, darling. And right now, it sounds like you're on uh, some maternity leave. Little little time to kind of step back a little bit, huh? Yeah, and I'm actually really excited to be on this leave. I'm taking some time to focus on, you know, having a healthy baby, of course, and getting into uh, doing a lot more programming these days. So it's kind of nice. That's great. And did I hear that you're uh, pursuing a master's currently, or am I incorrect? Yes. So I have my master's in computer science um, wow. with an emphasis on software engineering. And that was like just something I was really passionate about doing um, since my bachelor's was not in environmental studies. I mean, it wasn't in computer science. It was environmental studies. And uh, so I wanted just to learn more about the computer science field. And so I decided to get a sure, master's sure. in it. And that was great. While being a mom, it's uh, it's a lot of fun. (laughs) I don't get to watch a lot of television, but that was okay. Um, But it's what I love, so I get to do what I love every day, so I enjoy it. That's fantastic. What what was kind of the, um, uh, I guess, catalyst to get you to want to pursue a master's degree? Was it something that you're just really passionate about learning, and so that's why you decided to further that learning? Or was there any other catalyst that kind of made you want to pursue that route? Um, well, for me, you know, I'm definitely the nerdy person. I love to continuously learn. And um, when I was deciding to pursue my master's degree, it was kind of a, a little bit before Coursera and, you know, open source, um, MIT open course. So I really wanted to learn more about just computer science and software engineering. Sure, and sure. the best way to do that for me was to go ahead and fulfill master's. Um, I'm sure if I could do it again I'd probably just take a whole bunch of Coursera courses um but I really enjoyed my master's and I learned a lot not only about computer science but just about the importance of diversity and how people learn and you know when you're in a room that with a bunch of like guys that have gone to school together and they're they're totally okay and then it's you there's a little bit of imposter syndrome that comes up so totally 
And that's something I definitely want to cover. <laughs> Imposter yeah. syndrome is the thorn in our side. <laughs> oh, I learned it very well in my master's. I could probably uh, get a degree in that as well. <laughs> but, uh, that's awesome. You could just get a doctorate in that and that could be your thesis. <laughs> yes, I think it probably is going to be a good thesis is the actual uh, imposter syndrome and how it hinders women to go into computer science and pursue their passions because it definitely um, it's a hindrance unless you know how to overcome it. Absolutely. And that's something I definitely want to come back to because, um, it's whether a woman realizes it or not, it's, it's, it's present for sure, especially if she's in some sort of a STEM, uh, field or profession. Um, and before we get there, I would actually love to hear a little bit more about your background. I know we've touched on it a little bit. I had the lovely honor of, of meeting you face to face and talking to you a little bit about your background, but if you wouldn't mind for the listeners, just kind of help them understand where you come from and, and how you ended up on this path pursuing technology and becoming an engineer. That would be awesome. Yeah. Um, well, I think it all starts like, you know, my mom was an immigrant from the Democratic Republic of Congo. Wow. And she um, landed in Orange County, which is like two complete polar opposites. Oh, my goodness. So, <laughs> <laughs> Orange County. I had a great parochial school. Um, some of my earliest memories are playing with the computers that I had in my classroom then. And so I was always really nerdy as a child. Um, and when I got time to high school, I remember I wanted to go to Stanford, like, you know, every nerdy kid. <laughs> and uh, there was someone who had just, she really just kind of told me that, you know, pretty much African-Americans don't go to Stanford and I should kind of reevaluate my wow. goals. Really was completely destructive to me. It put me on a really um, difficult path for a long time. Wow. And so I wasn't really like gun ho about college after that because I realized that people's perceptions had so much more of an impact on me and my the directions I could go in life rather than like what I could really do. And how old were you when that comment was made? Do you know? I was seventeen. Okay. I was seventeen. And I could have gotten in. Like I had like a three point nine five GPA. I wow. had like fourteen fifty on my SATs. I was really someone who probably could have gotten in if I really wanted to. Yeah. But you know, my mom, being an immigrant, she didn't really quite know. Like, if your college counselor says, like, you can't go, you know, that's what you listen to. Wow. And so that, that was, like, a real pivotal point in my life. So no I decided the next uh, 10 years I focused on getting uh, minority students through college um, through a project that was called Gear Up. Um, and at the same time, I was going through college, but... It wasn't until I was getting my um, environmental studies degree, which was me studying part or going to school full time and then working full time, helping these students go to, to college. Hmm. And someone asked me, you know, you know, Miss Gloria, what would you do if, if you could do anything? You know, what would you do? And I said, oh, well, you know, if it was up to me, I would, you know, make apps on my phone because I'm always on my phone. I find it really fascinating. And, you know, it just seems like something fun that it would be, it would be fun to do. Yeah. And then there were well, why aren't you doing it? And I felt very hypocritical to tell all these kids to go to college and like pursue their dreams. And here I am, you know, just not really yeah. dream. And so I decided that I would do all my, um, you know, finish my environmental degree and do the prerequisites needed for um, an engineering degree. And I took my first programming class. It was uh, Visual Basic, and everything kind of clicked for me. It just fit into my personality so wow. well and so I decided to keep going with it from there and as I was studying I realized that 
here I am in these visual basic courses and I'm the only girl, I'm the only minority. Wow. Like a group of 80. And my mentor at the time was telling me, she was like, well, you're kind of like a unicorn. There's not a lot of people, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I like that here. And I was like, what is she talking about? It's just a problem, you know, in my class. And I realized it was a problem, not only in my class, but also in, you know, my meetups and in my local area at the time it was San Diego and within the industry as a whole. Hmm. So, yeah, I was lucky enough, I think my first year of my master's to apply for Squares Code Camp, where I got to meet 20 or 19 other amazing women. And uh, finally, you know, see women who in the field that kind of looked like me and that were interested yeah. in what women. But that was about three years after I had started on this journey. And so I knew that there were others out there like me and that I really wanted to be someone who was helping them, you know, get to where they were going. And, you know, I could either have been the best, like, software engineer and put all my energy into that or just put sure. my energy into being someone who would be uh, someone who would be removing the boundaries for others to get through. And so I thought that that would be a greater focus for me at the time. Absolutely. And I kind of like it because I get to see other people's journeys and help them out and point them in the right direction as well as bring more diversity into the whole tech space. So that's really cool. I, I, yeah, I mean, anybody who knows you even a little bit, I think sees that you really have kind of that coach's heart or that teacher's heart and you, mm -hmm. you really work to be really active in helping others, especially kids who, you know, maybe a minority or female and they're not, they don't have those role models necessarily to look up to, or many of them, I should say. Um, and so I think that's really cool that you've kept that very much a part of your life and are, you're still so, so active. Um, cause I think that's really, really crucial that, uh, a, a few weeks ago we had a little event up here in Spokane, Washington, very, of course, a small city. Mm -hmm. Um, and we had some teenagers show up and as well as some women who are in STEM and, you know, it's interesting hearing the things that the teenagers are struggling with these, these young girls, oh man, if I pursue this, I'm not going to have a social life. I'm going to be stuck working in a world of men, which is the case, I think, in, in smaller town America. Um, there isn't quite as much diversity, unfortunately, in uh, STEM. Um, so I think there, there certainly are some, some things that women and girls have to think about heading into those fields if it's something that they can uh, handle, because uh, I feel like that social piece is super important. And one thing I just found really interesting hearing your story is, it seemed like those pivotal points in your life um, were always kind of affected by uh, a single person or a comment somebody made. And that really either discouraged you or spurred you on to action. I find that really interesting that the social and emotional piece, I think, for women is something that's really crucial when it comes to encouraging them in their journey. Do you have any thoughts along those lines? Yeah, well, I think it, it definitely is really crucial. And for a long time, I... I knew in my journey I needed a mentor and I really wanted to have like, you know, a black woman who was a software engineer be my mentor. Hmm. And after a while I realized that that wasn't coming. No, that's a bummer. <laughs> that, that was just, yeah, uh, yeah. You know, this wasn't enough out there for me. And so I realized that I would take anyone who really just wanted, believed in me and wanted me to succeed. Sure. So I had some great male mentors uh, throughout my career as well. And I think that that's one of the areas where like the whole lack of women in the field or, you know, lack of diversity is really 
hurtful for the people who come from different backgrounds because they just don't have someone who can guide them through or who they're comfortable guiding them through. And so for me, I had to grow some very thick skin and like get a case of the screw it. I'm going to do it anyways and just follow what I want to do. And that led me through a path that I was really grateful for. Um, the, The guys that I did have in my meetups or in my classes after a while, um, I figured out who I could trust and who I couldn't trust. And sure. they were great to um, just really sit there and be like, I'm doing this. You should come too," and be very encouraging me to do like, you know, the scariest thing ever or just continue. <laughs> and eventually I just, I was just one of them in their circles too. Um, with that said though, it, it's great when you can be around other women or other people that are like you. But I think that, it's important to have an ally in the yes. space, even if you can't have someone who is exactly like you. And it makes it a lot easier for people to uh, transition. And I, a lot of times you realize, like, especially when you're in you know, a smaller town and you take like whatever tech jobs that you can get because you're just so excited about it, you realize that there are scenarios that um, just don't fit well with yourself and what you want to do and it might be a toxic situation sure. and I just try to explain to people to find your you know network outside of your community if you have to hmm. Twitter is a great place you know Facebook is another great place and really like exit gracefully but leave your mark and like leave hmm. with your head held high like you learned something um it it is definitely difficult and you know mental health is extremely important for people who sure. have from these areas because it does get to get to wear um, on you after a while. Oh, absolutely. And it takes, you know, a lot more positive things to outweigh the negative things mentally. That's a really great point. Absolutely. It's a beautiful point. So before we get onto my um, laundry list of questions in terms of building um, a workplace that nurtures diversity and inclusion, I have one last question for you, if you don't mind. Oh, Um, I don't mind. Could you tell the listeners a little bit? I know you're on uh, maternity leave currently, but tell us a little bit about your day to day. What's your role currently at Square? Um, I know you do a lot for Code Camp, and I'm sure there are many other pieces to that puzzle. I'd love to learn a little bit more about your current role. Yeah, so um, Square, I'm very lucky to be at Square because Square has a great uh, inclusive environment um, as far as its transparency. Um, There's a lot of women in leadership positions that I can go look up to. Uh, We have our WomenEng community, which is our women engineers, and we get together once a week at least to talk about different aspects. And so uh, I'm in a great great. environment to excel from that perspective. Um, What my day-to-day looks like is mostly uh, going out to different hackathons and working with different types of engineers, talking about Square's open source, um, our APIs, our internship programs, our new grad programs, and then giving them just insight into what it looks like to be part of Square's team. And then I help them through the whole process of getting on board with Square. Um, I also work with different communities within Square, whether it's Latinx, um, Squares, or the Black Squares Association, and just developing um, different types of communities there and like getting them started and like helping with whatever projects that they have um, from that standpoint. So I get to do a little bit of DNI and I get to do a little bit of recruitment on that aspect of it. 
And I do like the recruitment part of it because I get to go into communities, you know, Atlanta, um, Waterloo, places that are close to where our offices are and bring an impact to them and also show them like, you know, what is a tech company like? Because Square was the first tech company I got to see from the inside. And um, I like being able to open the doors there. And then I speak a lot about diversity and like what people need to be doing um, especially for students that are from like HBCUs or historically black colleges and universities mm. telling them like what what's the time period they should be applying for these internships and uh, you know what do their resumes what should be on their resumes versus what do they you know need to have on it because being uh, in school is a little bit different than being in the industry so we just try to sure. as much as possible for their jobs in the industry. That's really, really cool. I love that. And it's it's refreshing to see a company taking that seriously and sending someone out to kind of bridge the gap between smaller communities or even just smaller cities and San Francisco, because um, I think opening opportunities nationwide is, is just a really, really, uh, it's a cool thing, I guess, to, yeah, as, to say it bluntly. As the world becomes more uh, tech, like technical and technology becomes more global, I love seeing startup communities like outside the Silicon Valley. So. Yes. When I get to go to St. Louis or Atlanta or, you know, New York or Waterloo, it's great to see what, you know, what their startup hubs look like and, you know, the impacts that they're having there. And uh, it's something that I hope to continue to see all over the world. That's so cool. Way to yeah. go. Way to go, Gloria. Right <laughs> <Way to> go <laughs> square. <laughs> That's yeah. fantastic. All right. On to some questions about diversity and inclusion, which is a topic that I feel very passionately about. And I know you do as well. Yes. Um, so I guess my first question is this, and it's something I've been giving a lot of thought to um, in terms of various companies. You, It seems like a week doesn't go by that there's some story about some company who had a goal to, you know, increase their uh, numbers this year in terms of hiring people of color, etc. And of course, they miss the mark or something terrible happens. Um, it seems to me that the urgency and priority for diversity and inclusion starts at the top. And it, ha- it has to start at the top. You can't just hire a, we'll just make up a title, a chief of diversity and expect that to make the difference. I think it has to start with a CEO and that has to be an absolute priority for that CEO in order for it to truly be carried out. But I would love to hear your thoughts in terms of leadership setting the tone and actually making a difference. Yeah. So for me, um, and I think for me, when you talk about diversity and inclusion, I really like focus a lot on inclusion because I like to mm. know that there's a, you know, there's a area where you made a space that all is welcome. And like for that. me, that at Square starts with our board. Our board is extremely diverse. Um, it was great for me to see like a black woman on a board of a tech company. Cause that's, that's awesome. completely empowering. And, you know, I might've shared a couple, shed a couple of tears when I saw Ruth. Yes. But um, it's great to have that type of impact because they will hold your C-levels accountable then. And instead of me like finding an uphill battle and like screaming from the rooftops, the importance of diversity, it's reflected in the board and the board has diverse, sure. you know, perspectives. And then it holds the county, uh, the, the, the company accountable uh, for that perspective. And diversity just can increases productivity and increases yes. you know, opportunities. And so that is really important. And then as, as diversity and inclusion starts to trickle down, you start to think of 
how do your employees feel when they come to the workspace? Do they feel included um, in the products or do they feel included with their perspective or that they can voice their concerns? And for me, it's great to see leaders that are extremely passionate about diversity and inclusion. You know, I know um, we have Sarah Fire, CFO, is extremely important about diversity and she talks a lot about getting, uh, you know, women into the workplace and it's nice to be able to have some of these side conversations with, you know, your C-levels about the importance of diversity. So you feel like you don't have to yeah. reinvent the wheel, but they have it on their top of mind as well and they understand it. So totally. that, that makes Square a great place for, for me to be on that perspective. And I wish that more, you know, companies had diverse boards and diverse C-levels because it then makes the conversation a lot easier. Yeah, that that's a really great point. I think it off, more often than not, it is an uphill battle. And if it's a mid-level manager or, or lower um, trying to preach the importance of diversity and inclusion, you know, it, it doesn't always go anywhere. But if it comes from the top down, it, it tends, of course, action tends to be taken because it's a priority. Um, could you maybe talk about some, you've, and you've mentioned a few of these, you know, it's easy to talk about diversity and inclusion and, and, and maybe even try to implement it in the recruitment process. But what are some things that um, you have maybe spearheaded or, or your, your colleagues have spearheaded that help that inclusion piece to make people feel welcome and like they do have a voice and, and they are a part of this, you know, with alongside everyone else. Could you maybe just name a couple of um, yeah. actionable things? Um, so I think there's, I mean, there's, a, I can list a whole lot of them. So um, <laughs> one of them was like our, we have a, a group that's LGBTQ friendly. Um, it's called Square nice. and they oh, have, that's great. it is great, but they have like, you know, pride shirts and they had, um, I think it might've been for during pride week. They, they had a Kinsey skull up to show oh, like wow. And I thought that was really powerful. And it was just something that, you know, a proceeds of the shirt went to go support a local organization. And nice. uh, it was just kind of nice to be able to have an open space to have conversations about things that are concerning to them, um, as well as, you know, support them as allies. Um, and then we have Latinx and for Dia de los Muertos. Latinx had a great Dia de los Muertos shirt and they went out into the community and was able to like talk to different merchants that may or may not have used Square and kind of nice. bring some education um, to, to that perspective. And even right now for Black History Month, I know our BSA group, of course, has shirts where, you know, the selling of shirts have goes to a, a local um, nonprofit agency and they have a couple of different like uh, food takeovers in our cafeteria and just different suggestions on movies to educate yourself about Black History Month. That's that cool. Care but sometimes it goes, you know, even a little further than that with um, doing our, we had a, a lion during um, one of the latest police brutalities that happened with uh, mm -hmm. Castillo. And uh, that was really powerful because, you know, we had a group in St. Louis do a lion, a, a lion and a group in, I think New York did it. I think almost all of our offices actually did it. And then the San Francisco That's office. Cool. So there's a lot of times that, you know, the diversity and inclusion is reflective um, from that perspective. But also a couple of weeks ago, we just had a movie about some of the 
um, sellers that are square or square sellers that are immigrants and how they come to the country and follow their American dream and are able to make an impact in their community. So it's just a diversity in showing the people who use the product, the people who make the product and the people who think about the product. So that's really uh, cool. Yeah. I, I love seeing like a holistic perspective of all the different types of people. Yes. Everyone, the, the whole food chain. All, yes. <laughs> one spot. Yes. That's awesome. I love it. Um, we mentioned a little bit earlier how you're really passionate about being a door opener for others, which I think is is really amazing because you didn't necessarily experience a, a lot of that yourself. You've experienced some of it, people willing to spend time with you and mentor you and, and open doors whenever possible. But you've really um, spent a lot of time and, and put a lot of uh, dedication into being a door opener for others. I'd love to talk a little bit more about Code Camp, if you don't mind, because it seems like that was really pivotal. Pivotal. Oh goodness, I'm making up words now. Uh, <laughs> pivotal for you, and I know it's been pivotal for other women and, and young girls. Can you kind of talk to me about the process? Um, how how young girls are selected, and and what what they experience when they're in Code Camp? Yeah. So Code Camp is where we usually have three to 600, uh, 300 to 600 women apply and then 20 wow. gets. Uh, are they so, all college age or beyond? They are or, all okay. um, college age, like 18 and older, and they're pursuing a degree somewhere related to the computer science field. Um, and so what happens is the, the first wave gets read by, you know, some of our engineers just to, to see if they would be able to kind of, hold up with the rigor of the, the process and sure. and then after that it goes to the alumni and all of us alumni there's about 150 women who have now gone through code camp wow. and we all get together and try to select the last 20 um, to to go into it wow and we say like it's always amazing that we're still friends after that process because <laughs> no but, um they get to the, the 20, and uh, we always have uh, girls from all over uh, the globe. The U.S. and the U.K. are invited in Canada, U.S., U.K., and Canada. And um, we've had it in San Francisco, New York, and this year, most likely being in Atlanta. And nice. kind of a great experience. They come for five days. Score puts them up in a hotel, pays for their travel, um, so there's no out-of-pocket to them. And you get to do tech checks and work on projects and learn, you know, from the engineers about different things that are actually happening in the, the industry. So for me, it was where I got exposed to Ruby on Rails for the first time. And then, like, that became one of my primary languages that I was working And uh, I got to meet, you know, mentors um, and I got to meet other women. My best friend I met at Code Camp and her name is Casey. She works at LinkedIn and she is like, she's the, uh, ivory to my ebony. (laughs) I love it. (laughs) (laughs) But it's just kind of nice to have uh, that group. So the girls go through, you know, a couple of tech tracks. They work on a passion project. They get to meet with some of our C-levels. So they'll meet with either Jack or Jackie or Sarah and have like nice, you know, um, round tables with them. Sometimes I'll have a guest speaker and then they get to meet the rest of the alumni. So we have like an alumni breakfast where you get to meet other women who are also working in that space. And I think that's, to, that's the most important um, component for mm-hmm. them because um, some of the women come to Square, some of them don't. But having that network of knowing that you're not the only woman who's interested in hardware or you're not the only one sure. who's interested in space 
is so helpful to these women. And then they get to like create this network, which most of them didn't have previous to code camp. And now they get, you know, initiated into it. And then you get to see these lifelong friendships blossoms and people have gone and left code camp to start their own startups or gone to, you know, great big companies or little companies. It's just kind of nice to see them feel empowered and get to follow what they want to do in life. That's so cool. I love it. And I think sometimes uh, those of us who try to be active, at least um, in being either a door opener or someone who mentors other women, I think sometimes there's an unfortunate stigma that we're all mad at the world and we're (laughs) pushing forward for equality and we're all angry. Um, but in in all honesty, when I've met with any woman who's outspoken about this topic and who gives of herself, they tend to be the most loving and, um, amazing people with just the biggest hearts. I don't think anything could be further from the truth. So I respect anyone that, that gives of their time and, and, uh, that's so cool to hear about. Yeah. My husband says I'm always an angry militant feminist, but when you get to like, you know, when you're into, when you're in tech and you, you kind of realize like there's so much of the world that's like already against you in that perspective. Yes. Oh yeah. But he just needs a, a, someone to cheer them on and say, yes, you can do it. Like I don't need to be on anyone else's hater list. I'd much rather be their cheerleader that says <laughs> your head, you can do it. That's and I'll probably great. tell them to do the scariest thing ever because that's, where all the fun is in life, but you know, <laughs> yes. And it, you've walked the walk. Yes. Know, that reminds me of when, you know, previously, I think when it was some of your students, he said, well, what's stopping you? Why aren't you creating those apps? And you're like, well, I guess I got to do this. And so now you have walked the walk. Now I do it. And, and you know, amazing. like I'm a little bit older now. I have my kids and you realize like the scary risk that you take in life won't kill you. So you might as yes. well do kind of want to do. And so it's nice to have, you know, girls that are just coming out of college and have some choices and saying, take the risk that is risky because I was telling them, that's what your twenties are for. Anyways, you take like, and you just blame it on being in your (laughs) twenties. That's a good strategy. I like it. (laughs) That's great. Well, you just talked a little bit about being a mom and I would actually, that, that was one of my questions is how has being a mom changed up your daily routine and just the way you approach work and your general worldview. I know it's changed mine personally. Um, and I would love to hear a little bit about how it's changed you. Yeah. So, um, being a mom and a wife has definitely changed me quite a bit. I, I tend to be the techie mom. And so my kid is really techie and, you know, I always am encouraging him to build apps or be on video games, which is not usually the norm that he gets a lot of times, but, uh, I feel that when it comes to work, I try to work very efficiently because once mm. I am home, I need to be home. I need to yes. be mom. Yes. I need to be wife. I need to to be that to to my family because at the end of the day, they're the. I mean, I could change the world through all these other people, and then my son not know who I am, and it wouldn't really be worth mm. it. So I really try to be present when I am home, and then be present when I am at work. Um, I'm lucky enough to have a great spouse. He is Mr. Mom. And when I travel, he can hold down the fort real well, um, which is great. And it has its own other consequences. My family like makes plans without me a lot. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> it is kind of nice. And the one thing I thought was interesting was my son had always been around my friends and my code camp friends that he was really concerned that he couldn't be a, a, a software engineer because he didn't see any guys in the field. <laughs> 
the strongest parts of individuals' imposter syndromes do go back to those teenage years, those formative years where we heard a comment about something. I have a girlfriend who she writes a lot for her job. And when she was in school, she had one of her professors tell her she was a terrible writer. When she, She's not a terrible writer. She's a great writer. And even to this day, even though she does it professionally, that is always the voice in the back of her head. And yeah. um, it's it, it haunts her, if you will. And it makes it really difficult for her to feel like she can actually take things to the next level when it comes to the writing. Um, and, and we all have stories like that. You know, you shared one and women can't attend this school or that school or especially black women cannot attend this school or that school. And that haunts you and it affects you. And but but of course, imposter syndrome is so much more than just that, of course. I just think it, it's interesting how it manifests itself differently. Um, and just just go for it, girl. Talk talk about imposter syndrome. Yeah. So for me, you know, it's so funny because I'd always been like the nerdy black chick my whole life until I got into tech. And then I had to prove that I was smart. Oh, wow. <laughs> and so it like produced a lot of anxiety. Like for me, it was the first time I ever had really anxiety. Uh, that wow. was one time to, to get into tech. And I always remember like my first week I got to Square, I was, I had a huge imposter syndrome of working there. My mm. mom had and she was like, what are you doing? And I was like, oh, I'm here. I'm going to um, just sit around until they realized they made a mistake and like that I should be in here. And she was like, uh, I think you should get to work. <laughs> <laughs> That's not what I need to hear right now, mom. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that, you know, there is a, the imposter syndrome, it starts to create uh, missed opportunities for people who struggle with it, where they don't mm. take opportunities that they're totally qualified for, but they don't believe they can, or, you know, they just don't take the risks that are needed in that, that perspective. But it's also extremely tiring to deal with people's unconscious biases. Yes. So, um, I had recently seen hidden figures. Have you seen hidden figures yet? I haven't. I've been wanting to get back to the theater to see it, but, but I've heard amazing things. Yes. Uh, I will just get on, on one thing that struck me from the movie. I won't give away anything, but <laughs> to um, see her struggle with what I know of imposter syndrome. Mm. And it was just more of like, you know, here's this brilliant mind and she's surrounded by all these circumstances, but she cannot release her like mind in order to mm. work 110% until those barriers are removed. And uh, some of that is, is what imposter syndrome feels like for yes. me. So a lot of times it's me talking about like, oh, I'm not an engineer, even though I have an engineering degree, but I'm not working as an engineer. And then my friends are like, you're an engineer, Gloria. You, you <laughs> like you're still an engineer. And so it's things from that aspect where I got to really mm. change the way I talk about myself. And so I had to really listen to my mentor, who I have an amazing mentor, and listen mm. to how he talks about me and take risks. And he's constantly pushing me to uh, do like the things that I think are the scariest things ever, which, you know, are just like pairing with him or doing things of that nature where imposter syndrome had a, mm. had its horrible grips on me. So I think the more that you can like list your accomplishments and realize like that even if you only know one class more than you did yesterday, that's still an accomplishment in you moving forward towards your goal and really understand like who you are as a person and how you rest in order than than um thinking about other people and what they're going to say about you or even yourself but those people are still there and you'll have to deal with my microaggressions and yeah the stronger that you 
become, the better you'll be at combating them. But it's there. It takes time. Yeah, that, that's a good point. And I'm curious, uh, since you spend a lot of time with women in college or in high school, and you see, you know, those symptoms of impo- imposter syndrome manifest themselves, what types of things do you do? Because again, every woman's different for you. It's, it's a very, it, it brings on, you know, feelings of anxiety. For some, it brings on feelings of depression. Yeah. Um, what do you do when you see a, a woman who you, you are a mentor figure to? Um, how do you help her come out of that or at least take the steps? Because I mean, I don't think it's ever going to fully disappear. But how, what do you usually do? Uh, well, the first thing we do is usually call it out. Like if we can see it or recognize what it it, it looks like, we mm. say, okay, that sounds like imposter syndrome to me. You're mostly qualified to do it. Um, but the women that I mentor know that my door is always open. My phone lines are always available. And I do what, what I call is like the five-minute cry session. And then we got to, you know, you can cry for five minutes. <laughs> and then we got to find a solution. <laughs> like that's just the <laughs> picture in me who will let you do that. And a lot of times we just, everyone kind of just needs somebody to, to hear them out more than like fix it. Yes. And most people can find their own solutions, but I let them know that someone is there and cares and is listening to, to them. And then that, again, that goes back to like mental health and being okay yes. with themselves in our community, because I feel like, you know, it's very easy for someone to feel attacked when their code is attacked or, you know, yeah. just feeling very down on themselves and the more that we can support each other uh, the better off we are as a whole so regardless if it's a woman or someone who's lgbtq or anything like that sure. you just really need to be able to lean on the next person next to you and know that you know you're there for a reason you're there for a purpose that's that's a really good point and i think there are a lot of women currently in stem fields um, and they don't have necessarily, a, you know, a great uh, female network around them. Um, just that's just the nature of maybe their particular company. It's it's just the way it is, unfortunately. Um, and so learning to find those allies, even if they're outside of the workspace, I think is really, really important when it comes to mental and emotional health. Um, and and I, I really like the fact that you pointed out that men can be our allies too. This isn't us versus them. This is, this is everyone together. And I know personally, I have several male colleagues who are certainly allies and it's sometimes mentors and, um, you know, we're advocates together for each other. And I think sometimes we have to be more intentional than we'd like to find that network, but that that's a really great point. Yes. And if you can find the woman, like go for it, you know, and if you, don't know, like, you know, if you don't know where to start to, you can always be a mentor to the younger generation that are still like interested in tech and are like just trying to learn about what the field is even like or what they should be taking. So I do spend a lot of time mentoring sixth graders and, you know, even younger. I have a couple of girls that are like kindergarten that are interested in technology. (laughs) I love it. And that's actually a beautiful segue into my next question, which um, is and, and I don't have the study in front of me. I need to find it again. But there was a study done recently uh, where um, the individuals in the study were trying to determine um, who influences little girls uh, towards their eventual career choices and whose word means the most and whose support means the most. And most of the study ended up indicating that the mother's opinion of what the daughter wants to do um, is the most 
formative opinion and ends up affecting the daughter the most when it comes to her choosing a career, which I found that very interesting, of course, being a mom of three and one of them's a girl. And it, it puzzles me because I'm always extremely vocal to her about girls can do anything. You can do anything you want, honey. Mommy's even doing something that a lot of women don't, you know, pursue. And um, you can do it, you can do it. And, and still, even then, she'll sometimes come to me and say, um, mommy, can girls be scientists? <laughs> and I'm like, yeah. honey, yes, yes, yes. But she's, but all she ever sees in the media and any, well, any sort of media she consumes are, are males really being uh, in those types of positions. So she's confused and she feels like she has to ask for clarity. And then she's already weighing in her mind. Okay. If I become a scientist, I'm probably going to be in a man's world. And I don't know if I want to give up my social life. You know, she's already weighing that she's nine years old. Um, so all that to say, um, if there's a mom listening, who is trying to set her daughter up for success and really help, you know, help her daughter consider all possibilities and whatever career choice really is the best match for her gifts. What would you tell them in terms of um, how they can best set their daughter up for STEM success? If, if that's the path that the daughter so chooses. Yeah. Um, wow. So I think I, I kind of have a unique perspective of this one per se, because my, my mom, again, comes from the Congo, which is a patriarchal sure. society. Sure. So in my family, I'm the girl you don't want to be because I don't know how to do dishes. And I can't <laughs> clean. You know, like, I, mean, I know how to do dishes, but I just don't clean. I'm not, so they're always like, oh, don't be like your cousin. I was like, no, be like me because you can pay someone to do your dishes. Yes. <laughs> so, uh, but I think that one thing I always try to do for my nieces and my nephews, they, you know, my niece the other day, she wanted for her birthday, she said she wanted like a physics set, a Taylor Swift album, and I think a Barbie. And so she got her physics set. That's great. I love <laughs> it. The one who's going to get you the STEM focused toys. <laughs> you're going to get the same exact nerdy, you know, toys that my son gets, and you're going to be invited to the same exact, you know, opportunities um, from that perspective. That's great. But I also really try to seek out very diverse media. So if the media is, uh, you know, my son's gonna, you know, my son and my nieces are always going to get the media that is going to show one type of engineer per se. And so when sure. there are opportunities to show another different type, such, such as like side girls or, you know, odd squad, or, um, sure. there's this in Toronto that's called Android androids. And it's like this, this, uh, hardware engineer per se. She like makes robots and it's awesome. So my nieces are always going to be exposed to that. So I try to overexpose them like in that direction, let them know there's opportunities. And then I meet whenever they can meet women that are in the STEM fields, we really go out and let them play with chemistry sets and whatever they're interested in. And I think the mom, what she can do to really help her daughter who is interested in this and encourage her to continue to be interested in it. Like, Sure. If they're interested in chemistry, you know, I was interested in, in sixth grade. I think my classes were aerodynamics and algebra two. And my mom was like, <laughs> Go for it. you know, that's fine. So the more that they can encourage their girls to, to do that and do science and pro- projects or just be involved, uh, the better. Cause they know like your child knows what they like. They just need the encouragement to know that it's okay. And I've got worked on projects. I think, we did like a Rails Girls app where we were building apps. And again, I was pretty familiar with Ruby on Rails 
but the girl next to me was nine and her mother was not techie. Like my mom was not techie. And so I knew I could either build the app and be done and be focused like that. Or I could help the girl next to me, the little nine year old girl build her app. And she was like spot on with everything else. And I just tried to tell her mom, like keep taking her to these type of things because it will mean the world to her. So you know, you can kind of, as a parent, you can kind of create the world that your child is in, <laughs> you know, it's by true. them or limiting their exposure to things that you don't want to limit their exposure to. So yeah. I just extra mile and um, try to find, to find as much, um, as much media, you know, and books and films that will show the diversity of people who can work in STEM as possible and expose my nieces and nephews to that. That's a great point. I love it. Thank you. It's a good reminder for me. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. Um, I have a a slightly uh, two two last questions for you. One of them is a little bit um, off topic, but I'm curious about it. Um, Can we talk about your choice to go vegan? I'd love to hear more because you always post the most amazing pictures of vegan food. And I would love to hear about that choice and and, really anything vegan you want to talk about. Yeah, so I think my choice to go vegan was mostly just my body doesn't process it really well. So sure. like, it just like uh, was that perspective. I always want vegan food. Um, it's just the easiest thing for me to go process. And it's actually really easy to find. Uh, the only time that I'm not eating vegan is when I'm pregnant because A, my iron gets so low. And then oh, B, yeah, we yeah, yeah, yeah. Up with yeah. baby craze. So like right now, <laughs> and whatever this kid uh, craves that we, we go with. Um, but usually it's a vegan diet and I use Yelp a lot to find amazing vegan food. I was always worried when I traveled that I wouldn't be able to find like food uh, mm. when I was traveling, but I have found the best vegan food and I'm actually able to find it um, with the culture that I like. So when I'm in Atlanta, I'm able to find Southern vegan food that is delicious. Oh, that's great. And, uh, when the last time I went to Canada, I was able to have like vegan poutine, which was delicious. Uh, I actually like that perspective, you know, to be able to have it all over. And it wasn't as hard as I thought. Um, huh. Once I made the switch, it was pretty easy. It just took a while to go fully vegan. It probably took me like two or three years. But there's tons of inspirational like vegan dishes on my Pinterest. And the more vegan people I follow, the better. So... Um, yeah, it makes That's it a lot. Easier. Yeah, I, I feel like people who've mastered the art of vegan cooking are some of the most creative people on the planet. Because most of us would think, oh, you know, you've got got to cook without meat. This is crazy. Yeah. Um, but the creativity and just the flavor that comes out of it is is just it blows my mind. You start to love spices and sauces quite a bit. <laughs> like, quite a bit. I have a great spice rack. <laughs> That's great. I love it. That's fantastic. And one more question for you um, would be, are you uh, reading anything lately? Or it doesn't necessarily have to be reading if you're not into reading or just consuming any sort of media that you found really either interesting, entertaining, compelling, really anything. So uh, lately, I just watched C-SPAN like an old woman. Um, Yeah, yeah. yeah, this this whole, I've been reading the letters to my Congress and (laughs) watching C-SPAN like no, like the last... Uh, three weeks have been really a roller coaster. So I've been trying to figure out, you know, a lot of times media is really interesting from that perspective, but I tried to figure out really what's going on um, within our 
within our country and what are the legal yes. ramifications and what are the rights that we have versus not having. Um, and that's been really, really interesting right now as I've been on leave, I've been in, I've been in writing California with my in-laws. Um, and that's a different type of environment than mm. liberal San Francisco. <laughs> so it's just been, um, even more important to get involved and kind of make your voice heard. Yes. And so I've been, very inspired by all the protests that are going on from that perspective. Um, so yeah, that's really what I've been doing with my free time. And then sure. uh, from there, it's really gotten me passionate to go back to open source, especially as you know, there's a lot of my, my background is environmental studies. So now when there's talk okay. about the EPA being dissolved and whatnot, yes. I really want to look at open data and try to make an impact um, from that perspective and use my talents to benefit all the communities that I'm involved in. So that's been taking up a bit of my time. From sure. That. And I think rightly so. I think the recent events, shall we call them, yes. have, have in a sense forced people to take a side and um, think through their reasoning a little bit in terms of this is why I've taken this side and this is why I feel passionately about it. And um, it, it really, to me, is inspiring to see people finding ways to actually make a difference rather than being, um, you know, into just social media politics where they just post their opinion and that's the end of it. They're not actually taking action to change something. Um, but I think that it, rather than slacktivism, the actual activism that's coming out of it, that part gives me hope. But it's certainly yeah. it's well, it's been a it's been a rough, rough few months. <laughs> that's for sure. A rough three <laughs> to weeks. put it lightly. Yeah, I, I I get very inspired by the people who just take actions and say no, we won't stand for this. Yes. Um, I like. I mean, whatever side that you stand on, it you know, I'm always going to support someone's right to have sure. their perspective and sure. to you know have their beliefs and to be able to protest. But I I think it's very inspiring to watch people put in their two cents and rather than I talking about it and getting people involved. And I really like to see, you know, I, since I'm working with so many younger students, I love seeing them get involved. I love yes. hearing the conversations yes. between my nieces and my son about what they want to do. And it gives me a lot of hope. So I'm like, okay, this is only four years. <laughs> you know, <laughs> Let's we, hope, have yeah. we have to deal with, yeah. But uh, yes. it won't, yeah. our country survived uh, quite a bit. And so we just can always... Sure. move forward and even no matter how much we regress we can always progress even further um if that's the desire of the citizens of the country yes. so that's a great I'm point preach girl no for yeah. real i i you know up here in spokane it does tend to be more conservative as well sounds like similar to the area you're currently staying at and yep. um last week i had a really great conversation with our local naacp president um who's also the gentleman that had to clean up after the rachel dolezal scandal locally um, wow. And yeah, right. He's he's had his work cut out for him. And it was really interesting just to dialogue about because locally, man, it's been heated. It's, you know, for the most part, a lot of folks do fall on, on one side of the aisle. There are still a decent population that falls on the other side. Um, and it's just gotten so heated and, and people are, you know, not ex not expressing their opinion in a way that is um, kind, shall we say, which we're seeing a lot of that. But learning how to coexist as a community and respect each other's rights, but at the same time, try to find that common ground. And you know what? We can all agree on this and we're all human and we're all in this together. So let's at least try to coexist peacefully. It's It's been just crazy. Yeah, 
I, I, I think that part of it's been crazy, but there's also been sides where some of the, you know, some of the laws that are coming to pass or choices that are being made are so radical where oh, even some are. of my conservative friends are just like, oh, what is going on here? Yeah. Yes. So I'm just like, okay, we're able to find a little bit of common ground sometimes. So I just, uh, yes. I can, I'm much more respectful for the people who, again, aren't like social media politics, but actually are like doing the groundwork. But I've yes. also seen it, a lot of really meaningful conversations about uh, the lives that other people live and, you know, the influences and what it means to truly be an American. And I think that the sense of patriotism that I have goes back down to, you know, really our constitution and like being uh, absolutely able to have like life, liberty and the pursuit of happiness for all people. And uh, again, I'm a, like, I'm somewhat biased. I'm a child of an immigrant yes. that came as a so like no, I'm not really- I, I, I could not believe my ears when re- those recent events unfolded I mean yeah. we are a nation of, really of immigrants and descendants of immigrants it's 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 truly outrageous and goes against the very uh, fibers that built this country it's I, how can you be on the other side? how can I you be on the other side of the coin it it just doesn't make sense to me so I, I completely agree with you it's hard when you're that much of a diversity and inclusion advocate yes. you know, in tech and then you see what's going on here. Yes. And I, you mention it that like, yes, we are a nation of, of immigrants. And then you look at how we treat our indigenous people oh, right now. I know it. It's it, like, what is going on? <laughs> I know we, we've as a nation committed so many sins and, and we are not without fault. And so who are yes. we to, to act righteous and and yeah i mean don't even get me started on I that. Know, a whole nother <laughs> podcast that we're gonna be talking right about. <laughs> no totally and i completely agree with you and you know they're often the forgotten uh ones and and that absolutely kills me and we have quite an indigenous population around here which i feel very passionately and strongly about and i'm excited we're actually planning some really interesting initiatives just for them um to get them introduced to stem and and I, i can't wait to see how that unfolds yeah that is like another population like it's i mean there's so many populations that i wish that i could like magically introduced to the fold but i really wish that native american and indigenous people would have uh, resources as well to get into tech oh it's true i think you know me i'm a white woman sure i I experience (laughs) genderism or (laughs) whatever you want to call it sexism um but i truly did not understand the challenges that uh non-white populations are up against until i married my husband who is uh, a Pacific Islander. He's uh, from the Chamorro people. It's a very, very small people group um, from Guam and had children who are non-white. And, you know, I, I was I was in denial. <laughs> Racism isn't real. Bigotry is not real. Until I started to see, you know, things unfold. Like I got, you know, pulled over with him in the car and was treated completely differently than I had been before when it was just me. Um, and he's a, you know, he's a veteran. He has a very clean record. He's never done a thing in his life. Uh, but, but just, you know, and having people refuse, you know, when he worked for Apple, they refused to allow him to serve them because he was not a white individual. Yeah. Um, and just seeing some of the ways that my children are sometimes, uh, you know, it's that unconscious bias coming into effect. But my eyes have truly been opened and I feel so passionately that white silence ends and uh, we start taking a stand alongside um, our brothers and sisters of all shades and trying to understand things from their perspective even if we've never personally experienced it ourselves just because i've not experienced it does not mean it's not real 
Right. Correct. And that's just where the listening ear like comes in again, where some people need, you know, uh, a, a listening ear and a chance to be heard and the stage to have their voices amplified. So whatever you can do to allow them to be able to speak their own truth is like extremely important. And uh, it's important for us all to listen because there's stuff that we can gain from everybody's experiences. Perfect. Thank you, Gloria. Before we go, and I, I so appreciate your time and just kind of walking us through your life and the wisdom you have and the experience you have and the things you have to share. I think they're so, so valuable and timely. Uh, but before we go, I want to check in uh, about social accounts and how people can find you online and interact with you. So I am a very uh, open book. You can find me on Twitter at G You can find me on Facebook. Uh, you can find me on LinkedIn. That's the best way to get in touch with me. Perfect. There. And if you put like Gloria and Square into the internet, you'll find me. Like, <laughs> you'll be everywhere. You'll be everywhere. It's a great thing about having one of those African last names. It's oh, a- yes. Which I think it's I think it's a cool last name, by the way. Yeah. When I got married, I was like, I'm not changing it. You can take it or take it, but I have to keep this. (laughs) Staying with me. That's great. Thank you so much, Gloria. You have a wonderful day, and uh, I can't wait to hear how things continue to progress for you and how your activism continues to change STEM for girls in general. Oh, I'm so excited, and I thank you so much for the opportunity to be on your show, and I'm so excited. And I would love to hear, again, what's going on up there in Spokane, and hopefully I will be able to make it once this baby uh, comes out. Absolutely. (laughs) Thanks for tuning in this week, guys. I so appreciate you taking the time to listen in, and I hope you got something great out of the discussion today. I do, before we take off, want to give a special shout out to Bob Johnson, who left a fabulous five-star review on the iTunes app store. If you happen to have a moment and you appreciate what you're hearing so far, please do leave us a rating and or review on the app store because that helps us improve our chances of getting featured in the future. So once again, thank you for tuning in this week. I look forward to sharing some amazing interviews and content with you in the coming weeks. Say goodbye to your little friend. Thanks for listening to Basic Brainheart. I'm not great at farewell, so uh, that'll do, pig. Check back soon for more heart pumping, brain boosting content.